Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Eureka Moment. And today we're in conversation with Samara Mahindra. She's the founder and CEO of Carer, which is India's first integrative oncology startup that provides personalized cancer care to patients. Carer provides integrative therapy and treatment to help patients heal better, feel better, and live better during and after cancer treatments. Or well, with six plus years of experience in the field of integrative oncology, Samara is a certified fitness instructor from American Academy of Personal. training in new york and she has also been certified as a cancer exercise specialist and breast cancer recovery trainer by cancer exercise training institute portland oregon let's go and chat with samara hi samara welcome to the eureka moment thank you for taking our time it's a pleasure to be here thank you samara before we start and before i talk about the eureka moment of your startup uh, carer uh i just want to i f- i found this very interesting way to approach uh, cancer treatment uh, through your startup which is a very holistic way uh you know keeping emotional and mental things as well in mind what are your thoughts in the holistic way of treating so you know we often look at um, any kind of disease i'll speak specifically about uh, cancer uh, yes. firstly such a stigmatized word you know the mm-hmm. word itself has so much fear surrounded around it because i think there's just lack of knowledge in terms of what actually cancer is mm-hmm. and so when one gets treated by cancer they think you know it's the end of the road for them and they are very uh, it's very em- emphasize on the medical treatment which is yes. uh, which is required however mm. people often uh, don't realize that cancer is a disease that affects you um, in all aspects of your life so that mm-hmm. uh, not only medically but also psychologically nutritionally physically and it's a very debilitating uh, disease if quality of life is not um, you know looked after so in order mm-hmm. to look after quality of life it is imperative to have various forms of holistic therapies or um, you know various uh, different uh, ways of treating treating the patient along with the medical treatment um to actually improve the quality of life so holistic therapy is uh, essential when it comes to treating cancer patients mm, absolutely and uh, how does one approach a uh, carer if they want to get a treatment So it's very easy we work uh, predominantly with uh, you know all the oncologists and hospitals we're very focused in the Bangalore region however we are in the tier 1 cities and uh, now also expanding to tier 2 cities mm-hmm. um so a lot of the patients come through us uh, to us through doctors and hospitals however we are slowly starting to see a very big rise in patients approaching us directly so of course you have word of mouth you know cancer it's a cancer is like a little community well not little but large community so yes. once you you know start working with patients and they see and they feel a difference they uh, inevitably speak about this to other patients so mm-hmm. that's how we get a lot of patients approaching us you can come to our website we have a lot of inquiries that come into our website on an everyday basis um we're quite um, present uh, on social media so so there there are multiple ways of reaching out to us so it is either through your doctor hospital social media um website or word of mouth so if somebody sort of approaches you and they have started the treatment what is the process what happens after that right so what we usually tell all our doctors is um that we would like to come on board as soon as a patient is diagnosed in fact a lot of the patients uh, start the care protocol even before they start treatment mm-hmm. um what happens is that we work 
alongside the treatment protocol we are complementary to the allopathic treatment we are not mm-hmm. alternative treatment at all sure. so what we do is we manage the entire lifestyle of the patient while mm-hmm. they're going through treatment and post treatment and that is done through therapies that are delivered by our trained therapists at home mm-hmm. uh, as well as online so we use a lot of technology as well as uh, on ground therapies that are um, catered to the patient at home so in that respect um uh, the therapist actually you know like say we have a you know a section or a segment of what we deliver called movement and meditation it's an integration of physiotherapy and yoga therapy that is uh, built specifically for oncology now these yes. therapists actually go into the homes of patients and actually deliver the session one on one with the patient however our clinical nutritionist um, does meet the patient once or twice but the rest is happening online so it's an integration of both and uh, Uh, the way we work is that we really uh, get involved um, into the uh, treatment protocol that the patient is on so that we can uh, complement what they're going through so every type of drug the patient is taking or treatment that they're doing or if they're you know just come out of surgery or in radiation we adjust and shape the way we build our protocol and deliver it to the patient accordingly so that's how we work Awesome. So it's a complementary to allopathy, and it's not an alternate uh, to the allopathic treatment. Uh, that's awesome. Tell me, any how's the res- how's been the response so far? And if there's any example that you would like to say in in a specific treatment of someone. So the response has been phenomenal. Um, mm. I think what we did is that we went about it. I, I think that was one of the the good things that I did was that mm. instead of getting carried away by the fact that we're the first and only company. offering integrative oncology in this comprehensive way in india mm. and then going all out and marketing it what we did mm. is we said let's take it slow and steady so mm. uh, the what we focused on last year was just building a lot of patient data mm-hmm. and refining our methodology on over 30 39 types of cancers um and different patient demographics to prove that our protocol works so we were mm. very under the radar behind the scenes working with you know phenomenal oncologists and their patient uh, uh, you know samples and and actually deliver the therapies accordingly mm-hmm. and today where it's brought us is that it brought us a lot of credibility and validation because today we can show data to show you that this is how much the patient can improve in over 40 parameters uh, if they were to take our protocol and that changed the game for us in the sense that now doctors hospitals the medical fraternity is ready to listen and um, you know we have a, a study that's being published uh, at the moment in an international journal so we're starting that process so we've gone about it in a very from a very medical perspective and um, you know today we can talk a lot about data and you know actually show that there is um, there's evidence behind what uh, we deliver mm-hmm. so that has really helped but initially it really was a challenge of course um, as it would be for any healthcare company that's coming into uh, the space of mm-hmm. course a lot of doctors and hospitals they understood what integrative oncology was they just said why should we trust you why mm-hmm. should we believe in what you are delivering and um, that's what encouraged us to really step back and say let's prove what we're doing and then go back to the medical fraternity mm-hmm. so today it's a, it's a different con position we have with them and i i guess that's resulted in multiple tie ups and um, you know we are more or less tied up with all the major hospitals so it's it's really it's it's really opened up the doors mm-hmm. um but yes there were there were many many challenges in terms of um 
a story or yeah. an anecdote yeah. um there are multiple you know mm. uh, it's we work with you know 500 patients so mm. initially when we didn't have the most comprehensive team you know and when we started on ground i was interacting a lot with patients and it was i i can't name one story because there're just so many mm. but um, because we go into the homes of patients it's you know up close and personal where we uh, there's there's nothing really um, hidden over there so we are exposed to different environments different uh, Uh, types of people mm. and uh, what's really going on at home mm. and um, you know that uh, really helped us refine the way we customize and personalize what we're doing for the patient because for us the most important thing is that when we are in they're working with the patient mm-hmm. uh it's just the patient and us and there's just nothing else that matters you know so um that's there but uh, i think one thing that definitely uh, i didn't expect and that resonated with me was that it was interesting how um, initially when i started i would re- see reflections of my family uh you know uh, opposite me so when i would go in and work with patients mm-hmm. um it was like seeing my family there you know and mm-hmm. my mother sitting there and actually i got a lot of cases that were uh, semblances of my mother it was almost uncanny you know um, mm. where i would walk out of a session and i would feel a bit uh, you know taken aback where it was like mirroring you know and i i and i don't know why that was but it was it was just an interesting experience to see how um, you know how this journey uh you know is playing back from the time that i went through it personally and now today when i'm there professionally i see that same story playing out in front of me through other people so things Absolutely. like that have occurred Absolutely. I mean, dealing with you're getting the personal spaces of people and uh, dealing with emotions of people. And I also sort of read that uh, you also involve the family members into the treatment. How does that Absolutely. work? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think that came about because me being one of the caregivers, uh, yes. you know, and, and we have a pretty large family. Mm-hmm. I saw how it affected my family and myself. Yes. And uh, when I started this, I said, no matter what, uh, we need to give certain amount of attention to the caregivers as well. And sometimes we feel that there is already so much attention on the patient through, you know, their medical team and, you know, whatever is going on, there's so much attention put on them. Mm-hmm. that um what the caregivers go through is completely ignored and can actually result in a worse outcome for the patient because they create this um very destructive environment at home because they feel that they need to do everything in their power to help this one uh, loved uh, you know member of the family mm-hmm. however they have no idea how to go about it yeah. on top of that they there's there's an immense amount of guilt that caregivers go through i mean if they just i remember when i used to if i w- i would just step out for like um you know a meal or if i uh, met my friends and i found myself like laughing hysterically i remember i would feel a sense of guilt mm. you know because i was i was like okay this is uh, strange because you know i'm going through something very um you know very disruptive yes. at home and i shouldn't be in this situation so i found this constantly with a lot of caregivers and um, so we spend a lot of our time even uh, uh, even bringing them into the healing process 
teaching them, I think that's very important, mm-hmm. is that they spend. What happens is they think they become they become doctors basically, mm-hmm. and they are they become medical professions professionals, and um, they go and do so much research. And I think it's just the lack of knowledge that uh, results in them taking the wrong steps. So we educate them a lot about you know how to deal with the situation, and. Um, most importantly self care so we make them understand that listen you know with looking after yourself in this process and giving some space to yourself and time to yourself is not wrong and you must do it it's perfectly fine so uh, i lost like six i mean i wouldn't say lost but yes six six and a half years of my life was paused to a certain degree yes. um i i was in university i had to finish my degree i had to close you know uh, uh, obviously finish that so i did complete it however I, you know i nothing happened mm. in the in fact it happened with my entire family we just put our lives on pause for 6 years 6 and a half years actually and um, and when i when my mother passed away i literally re- relived those 6 years again because um, we did nothing yes. our focus was predominantly her mm. and nothing else yes. and uh, that's not very healthy it's not healthy at all so care it was is very very important to uh, you know uh, tend to and to bring them up a part of this entire process of healing absolutely and also samara this is googling thing everybody quickly googles and tries to you know find yes. solution <laughs> what what do you say to that you know alternate to medication google <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to go on google and to to you know research to that degree is uh, unhealthy it's really unhealthy so we we find that all the time absolutely samara i know about your story you lost your mom to cancer and uh, of course you lost a lot of your years as well as a caregiver uh, what was the eureka moment where you decided to start carer so the eureka moment uh, i mean the, i have to be honest there was multiple little small mm. eureka moments mm-hmm. um so the the way carer happened was very um organic and transitional it was not something that you know one morning i woke up and i said i'm doing this mm. um it happened because i spent so many years alongside her seeing how her quality of life was debilitating while she was getting great medical care i was like that's that, that there's a problem here because mm. even though we have access to the best in the world which we are very grateful for mm. the quality of life is not really uh, i mean it's just going down mm. so what's the point in all of this and just just um, seeing all of that experiencing all of that i knew that there was some kind of gap in the space i just didn't know how to go about it and uh, when i moved to the us mm-hmm. is when i realized that um, there was this entire concept of holistic healing and integrative oncology which was done from a very medical perspective mm-hmm. and that's when i was quite taken aback i said why don't i 
Uh, why didn't we have access to this? So why didn't we even know this existed? And uh, then that led to me moving to India and so on and so forth. But if you want, if you want me to pick one moment, um, so when when I started, we actually started Kara a while ago as an online platform. I, I we decided to build a lot of content online to just give people the information about holistic therapies. So we said, let's let's kind of uh, bring in the therapists online in terms of the information and let's have the patients or people out there, you know, look at this online platform and learn about this. Because obviously, from my personal perspective, we didn't even know it existed. So so I went about it that way. But that didn't work. Mm. Uh, I remember thinking, oh, my God, okay, this is my first failure, mm-hmm. where um, uh, it just didn't work. Uh, patients weren't ready to uh, pay for it. They didn't uh, really value information online. Um, it was it was an interesting space. And, um, uh, you know, I, I often talk about this moment where I was um, on a flight from London to Bangalore. And I remember sitting and um, uh, thinking that, you know, this online platform and is just not working, which was quite baffling to me, but it's not working. No one is really interested in knowing information. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, how do I take it that one step ahead? I also knew that um, we weren't going all out. And um, I knew that I was only giving a half-baked kind of uh, service. And is there anything else we can do? And I just remember thinking to myself, imagine if, you know, whatever information I'm giving to these people online, I can actually deliver those kind Mm. of uh, therapies to a patient. Mm. And um, I was like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? That's uh, crazy. And um, But then I remember it's a 10-hour flight and I remember sitting... 10 hours continuously sitting and writing out the entire process of how I would go about awesome. it if I were be yeah able to deliver the the, the actual therapy at home or, or to the patient's doorstep and that eventually became the skeletal structure of Kara and the foundation of what Kara is today awesome that's, so a, that, I would that, that. that's a great story also the biggest challenge that you faced on your journey towards starting your career any any anecdote that happened post starting at 220 uh, after you you decided this is a step you're going to take anything else that you were like deep down and you had to pull yourself out in terms of uh, like startups face a lot of funding issues as well you know so any any anecdote in that in that space so um you know even in the funding space i was so uh, I, I was such a um, uh, you know so naive when it came mm. to all of that i just didn't i wanted to give something to patients i knew i had something really special it was about building the right team and the right therapist training them well and delivering it mm. um i had no idea that it would require a lot of funding i had no idea that you know um, the 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 deep end of the business part of yes. it i mean i knew of course the business part of it but where it takes you uh, even the funding uh, actually happened very organically to be honest mm. I, I got really really fortunate with phenomenal angel investors who just it just happened where I needed the money and it within three months or four months I got the investment I required um it was after the funding which was an interesting experience mm-hmm. because you know you first think oh my you know oh my god my biggest thing is I need to get the funding I need the money mm. Uh, but when you get that first round of funding, it's the first time you've ever got some amount of, uh, you know, uh, cash in the bank and you have some kind of fluidity in terms of how you want to build a business. And that's when everything comes on you and you're like, OK, 
which way do I take this? And that was an interesting experience for me because I was looking forward for that funding to come in. And when it came in, I was kind of a little bit, uh, you know, in a dilemma. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had to recalibrate and I had to really think, okay, now some, you know, there are other people who have put in their hard earned money backing me and this company and what we're trying to achieve. And uh, this is not a joke anymore. Not that it was previously, Mm. but it's not, we can't take this lightly Mm. at Mm. all. And I remember that caught me completely off guard. And we had to make a decision, which I mentioned earlier, is that, okay, we need to step back and say, hey, we're not focusing on your revenues and you're not putting me on this treadmill of, I'm going to um, show X amount of growth month on month or quarter on quarter. I'm going to focus on something that's not going to give us any revenue for a bit. And that's just building credibility. And that's doing, uh, focusing on data. So a lot of our pilots we did were, we, we offered it free, you know, Mm. to the patient. And uh, because that's how we were able to, uh, you know, obtain the patients and get the sample sizes. Mm. So I had to take that step and um, I was worried I would get a lot of backlash for it because here I was saying, okay, I'm going to utilize this money and uh, not make any money out of it, but I'm going to build data. And my worry was that if the data didn't show positive, um, you know, it's going to be an epic failure. So um, that was a risk I had to take, but eventually it turned out uh, well. But it, it's a it's uh, constant, cha- I mean, every day is a challenge. I think that, that that's a great perspective. No revenue and building the credibility for a while. I think that's something that uh, our listeners can also catch up on. Also, Samara, tell me you're keeping the cost low in terms of uh, the treatment. Uh, when you started uh, the startup, was there any mission statement that you wrote? Any values you said, this is what I'm going to work around and I'm going to build my team around it? When you're starting a company, you start thinking of, okay, what is your mission statement? <laughs> what is your mission statement? You know, I'll be really honest with you. Uh, you know, it, it does evolve a lot. Yeah. Um, so, um, but one thing that always stuck by me, and even if, you know, if one were to kind of go through whatever, whenever I've spoken about Kara from day one, I've always said that when when I build Kara and when we take it forward, mm-hmm. um, I will never lose the soul of this business because mm-hmm. you get carried away, you know, and that's what I want to tell a lot of people. And I do say to a lot of people who are starting businesses or who are in this space that when you start getting, you know, financial backing, you start getting the recognition, you start getting, you know, uh, the credibility, things like that, and things are going mm-hmm. well, um, you can lose focus and uh, you can get carried away. And I, I there, there were times where I did, where you want to, you know, say, okay, let's expand, let's go really quick. Um, let's get in more funding. Let's take it to all the, you know, all the tier one and tier two cities in India and, you know, so on and so forth. And, um, and I remember getting a little carried away and then pulling myself back and saying, Hey, I'm losing the soul of this business because what was happening is that it was impeding the quality. And uh, that's something I won't stand for. So today, even now, when I talk to investors, sometimes they are taken a little back because I I say, I'm not going to replace my therapist with an app at the moment mm. you know we're not there yet i understand you want me to scale i understand you want me to be a digital platform i get all of that but if you're going to tell me that we're going to make you completely digital um and that's going to impede the quality or the data or the outcome of the patient i'm not going to do it mm. you know so today the mission of kara is basically to integrate the care protocol in mainstream treatment. I want, I tell the team all the time, now they speak this language that when a doctor 
prescribes chemo radiation surgery on that prescription pad uh, they need to prescribe the care protocol and that's when i think we will take a big long deep breath um so i think that's that's more or less the 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 you know direction we're going in um but yeah i would always say that you know never lose the soul of why you started this it was very easy to Uh, for that to happen absolutely that's brilliant samara do not lose the soul of the business no matter what because as you keep progressing a lot of issues are going to come and impede a lot of things how do you intend to scale up samara what where do you see yourself two years four years five years from now oh it's such a you know i just laugh every time i hear that because it's such it's a question i am bombarded with it every oh yeah. you have people on the ground how are you going to scale how are you going to scale i'm like this word has just yeah. um, so I, i you know i look at it very differently i i think that i haven't built a business uh, you know uh, just looking at scale hmm. uh, i think all great businesses don't build just uh, you know starting with okay how are they going to scale hmm. uh, many businesses at the start are unscalable and that's the that's hmm. the that's uh, challenge that we have to hmm. combat lovely, lovely, you know yeah. and that's that's what we need to yeah that's what we need to work on now today it's very interesting because i get this question all the time now hmm. uh, i have patients who have started reaching out to us from cities hmm. that we don't cater services to so i started with my team and i said okay i don't want to turn those patients away so how do we still deliver the therapies to a certain degree mm. so we uh, remember i had mentioned that we started an online platform yes. so that content actually is phenomenal content mm-hmm. okay and uh, we had tutorials we had different um, you know uh, informative content um, interactive content all of that and that i kind of shelved away and so now we're slowly starting to uh, take that out and actually there are it's it's kind of in pilot phase but we have some patients where who are using the care of protocol completely online so they don't have therapists going in to their home and actually uh, doing the session one on one but we have very very deep uh, tutorials that we make them watch and follow at home while we guide them through it online mm-hmm. so that's how we're applying uh, somewhat of an offline model online mm-hmm. um in the other uh, ways is that even just with care of protocol offline we are still using technology to a large extent which as um, which has really um, decrease the amount of dependency on offline and uh, of on people on ground so that uh, has now uh, slowly started looking pretty scalable mm-hmm. um in terms of expansion mm-hmm. of course te- tech is a very big part of it and we would use that as much as possible mm-hmm. we get questioned and uh, well we get asked all the time that why don't you apply this to other disease segments you know like cardiac nephro see when you're dealing with a cancer patient lot of them have other uh, health conditions as well so we're mm-hmm. inevitably dealing with those conditions too mm-hmm. so we had a lot of neurologists actually reach out to us and say that we need to do a lot of physical rehab for our patients and because we dealt with a lot of brain tumor mm-hmm. cases um we we worked with a few neurology cases so so neurology um, you know nephrology um gastrointestinal issues uh cardiac these are different segments that we're getting approached by saying you built this for oncology why don't you build the same to a certain degree for these other segments so we definitely that's definitely in the mm-hmm. pipeline uh we already have a few patients who come to us who are non onco um and we're seeing good amount of results in them because see what we're doing it's it's lifestyle it's holistic it it works for anyone and everyone it's just the way it's being delivered would be customized to your health condition that's basically what's mm-hmm. happening 
So, um, so we would see going into different uh, disease segments or verticals, if I can mm-hmm. call it, and definitely going into different cities. I mean, its expansion is what what excites mm-hmm. me. Um, we have got a, like I said, a strong footing in Bangalore and Bombay, Delhi, but uh, we are looking at all the tier one cities and then uh, you know certain few tier two cities as well. Absolutely, Samara. Tell me something. We also do this other podcast, which is a mental health podcast, and uh, constantly keep asking this question um, there as well. This is something that we are looking at a tier one or tier two city. We are looking at people who are educated. What happens to people in the lower rung? So you know, uh, interesting mm-hmm. question. Really yeah. good question. So we are asked a lot. I was asked a lot that okay, but you you know you're working with uncle. 60% or probably more than that is the underprivileged who don't even get access to treatment and good medical care. You know, we all want to save the world. We all want to do the best that we can. And um, uh, I think there is, uh, if, you know, we, we it, it will start with education. It, it's just, it starts with knowledge. Uh, it starts with just giving people the tools and information. Now, if you want to go down into that segment in the sense of um, giving them the information is step one. You know, um, teaching them things about, pre, you know, screening and how to, uh, uh, you know, hi, even hygiene and things like uh, how to maintain their lifestyle. Now, a lot of them, like I will give you an example we worked with a, a, a pilot group of patients with head and neck cancers. Now, head and neck cancers, any cancers in the head and neck region, you know, it could be your uh, tongue or, uh, you know, any any cancer in the head and neck region. Now, a lot mm-hmm. of it uh, or 90% of head and neck cancers is um, because of, you know, people chewing good cup and uh, smoking mm-hmm. or drinking. And this is a large percentage is from the, um, you know, the underprivileged, if I can call it, uh, mm-hmm. segment. Now, um, so when we worked with this pilot, we realized that um, we were giving all these therapies, but these guys were doing surgery. And then after surgery, they would start chewing the good car. Oh, my God. Or they would start drinking again. Hmm. Yeah, we had a situation where we found one of our patients outside, uh, passed out outside a uh, alcohol shop. Oh, my God. Mm. So we were, Mm -hmm. yeah. So, So then we realized that, hey, the way we approach this is very different. Now we have to deal with the addiction mm. because they, they don't even understand what's going on. They're like, okay, we've got this disease. Uh, first of all, they're, you know, li- literally boycotted by their family because they're like, we are like untouchable. So there's, you're dealing with that mm-hmm. uh, issue. And then second, these guys don't understand why it's happened. Even if you try to explain it to them, they are, there is an addiction that they have to deal with. So we realized that we had to really go into de-addiction and start teaching them how to, you know, actually get wean them off, um, you know, addictive patterns that they had with these different substances. So that was a time, honestly, where we had to step back and say, this is not our core business in terms of the fact that we don't, we don't know this area very well. Uh, de-addiction, um, our mental well-being therapists are not de-addiction experts, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is not something that we should go into. There were, there were uh, you know, situations, because like I said, we go into patients' homes where we were dealing with marital issues. That happens all the time, but then suicidal mm-hmm. was a very mm-hmm. big part of it. And uh, I had to pull back my uh, mental well-being team and say, listen, this is not our core competency and we can't we can't deliver something that's wrong so we we refer mm-hmm. it out so when you're dealing with that segment it's a very different ball game altogether and um, you need to approach it very differently because the mindset is completely different um, so it's not a space that 
I believe right now that we have the strength to step into in terms of Kero. Mm-hmm. But definitely, it just starts with information and teaching them. You know, just it's very important to teach them um, how to move forward. When I first started and I was in Tata for a bit, we did, I did an observership mm-hmm. over there. Uh, I worked with the Women Cancer Initiative and we did a lot of workshops. Um, well, Kara did a lot of workshops for, uh, you know, these group of patients over there. And we, it was all information. It was teaching them. And they really listened. They really implemented what we were teaching them. So they're mm-hmm. ready to learn. It's just that, uh, you know, we need to have the right amount of people and, you know, companies and institutes and uh, people like yourself to go out there and actually mm-hmm. give them the education. And I think that's where it from starts. the grassroots level, just the bottom basics and then only, it, you know, it can uh, go up. Kerar, uh, tell me something. Uh, any tie-up with the government hospitals? Uh, no tie-up with the government hospital as okay. yet. Um, we were doing some work with uh, Tata. Like I said, we were running uh, mm-hmm. workshops. Um, you know, Kidwai was something that, uh, you know, we were doing a little bit of work with, but nothing that's formally done or uh, not as yet. We have mm-hmm. been approached um, uh, by uh, some, uh, you know, government bodies and order to especially in the north region in order to do again like these in, uh, informative programs for the people because a lot of it a lot of the cancers in the north is because of fertilizers and uh, lifestyle habits mm-hmm. and things like that so they said why don't you come and do this but nothing is concrete at the moment mm-hmm. nothing that i can talk any about. advice for a startup that's just starting out um i think the you know the uh, it it's interesting i was talking to a friend of mine who's doing really well as well and he's uh, he kind of has he he started his company before me maybe a couple of years before me so i always so he's always that one step ahead of me so i always learn from him and um uh, he told me two things which uh, you know a long time back which today i really believe in uh, he said as a, a founder your primary role is to make sure you know you don't run out of money and you build a phenomenal team and i think um, especially the team is just really really important we try to say that you know especially if we're bootstrapping we're like okay we can't uh, invest too much in you know higher paid uh, professionals and employees so let's just kind of work around what we have but really honestly just getting the right team is it's 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 imperative to move forward it's really imperative um and then along with that i see that uh, you know it's also you will have setbacks on a daily basis it becomes a part of your life like being in an uncomfortable situation becomes a part of your life and uh, you just have to you have to um, you know persevere you they, you cannot make it without perseverance it's just not possible um and one thing i do you know i see amongst my own friends is that uh there is a lot of apprehension to just mm-hmm. start so i tell a lot of uh, uh you know i would like to tell a lot of entrepreneurs or those who are wanting to start a business that there will never be a right time whatever concoction of whatever you're expecting in terms of the money the time the whatever whatever is never going to happen and the right time is now uh if you believe in something you have passion for it and you're ready to really ride the tide and walk through fire um then then you got to start awesome. right start now. right now do not wait for the right time how has startup india if it has impacted your life uh 
uh, it has impacted in a certain degree. So Startup India initiative itself is, you know, I, I appreciate the intent behind yes. the initiative and I cannot doubt the fact that it has had a positive implication on, um, you know, Indians today. We see a lot more entrepreneurs from tier two and tier three cities. Um, if I'm not mistaken, there's been a rise of more women yes. entrepreneurs uh, that have come about. So that's great, you know, and that's really encouraging. There are elements of um, Startup India initiative that didn't, pan out the way that it should have. Um, having said that, um, it has given the uh, people like ourselves the opportunity um, to start companies on in an easier, uh, you know, uh, fuss-free kind of, uh, you know, manner. And um, just, I think, empowered a lot of youngsters to, or not only youngsters, actually, just people of all ages to say, hey, you know what, starting a business is actually not, um, it's not as scary as we think. And, um, you know, it, it's, it could be something that could be a ride of a lifetime. And I have an idea. Let me give it a shot. One thing it definitely has done um, is that there's obviously a lot of external funding and a lot of eyes that have put on, have been placed uh, and directed toward uh, entrepreneurs here in India. So funding has been, um, you know, one of those doors that have opened out for, you have a good idea, you you, you know, I, I don't see uh, a problem in it getting funded because people believe in you in every stage. I have a person who, uh, well, not a person, but well, a friend who has an idea. He has, not, has nothing else but an idea and uh, is probably going to get funded very soon. So, so I think all of that has really, really encouraged people to step up and take a chance. But the most exciting mm -hmm. thing for me uh, is that just seeing more women entrepreneurs. I'm like, you know, more power <laughs> to the women. Uh, I think uh, we are going to, you know, um, our resilience and our uh, ability to multitask and uh, and very important, especially in the work that I do is build in, bring in a certain sense of uh, empathy and compassion to running a business uh, is phenomenal and i just encourage more and more women to Absolutely take a chance. great point samara bringing more uh, compassion and empathy to the business which was primarily male dominated and of course the 19 year olds are also doing a startup now so i mean that's phenomenal samara what were the challenges or uh, that you faced while you you know tried to uh, you know uh, go with career as a therapy to the hospitals or dealing with people out there so the challenges when you know uh, that we faced when taking care of two hospitals and doctors were like i initially mentioned that they all uh, knew the concept of integrative oncology because it's a well established way of treatment mm -hmm. around the world they just said why should we trust you and why should we trust your therapists i mean why uh, you know we don't know um, the the quality of your services we don't know you know your background we don't know where you come from in terms of um, you know the medical uh, uh, you know uh, knowledge that you have about oncology so on and so forth so that's why uh, we we took a step of making a decision and saying that let's focus on data so that's the reason why um, we started working with a lot of patients and said okay if you don't believe in what we do let us work with your patients uh, and of course you know they went through all our therapies and they went through uh, did a complete um, you know medical ethics kind of uh, oversee in terms of what we were delivering but once they you know they get, gave a go ahead uh, we said okay let us work with your patients let us show you how we can improve your patient quality of life and so that's what we did and a lot of good doctors actually stepped in and said okay fine fair enough but you have to keep me in the loop of everything which is still our practice today um we work very closely with the doctor so every patient we work with we monitor 
uh, on an everyday basis and we send patient progress reports to our doctors continuously to let them know how their patient is doing. Um, what we also did that uh, kind of initiated the buy-in from the medical fraternities that we work with assessments that are already validated by the healthcare um, you know, fraternity. So, you know, we work with things called a QLQC30 and site-specific. So these are assessment tools that we didn't create. And uh, so our data could, couldn't be scrutinized. So when we would show them the data, we would say also this is based on these assessment tools. So um, so it took a while. It took a long time for them to get a buy-in. But that data changed everything for us to show them improvements in the patient. And uh, there were a lot of hospitals and doctors said, but what exactly are you doing with the patient that they have improved to such a degree in just 45 days? Um, and that's like, Okay, that's something that obviously we have built, um, but um, but this is that's basically that's basically the care methodology. Um, but it was all about data that uh, resulted in the buy-in of doctors and hospitals, and making them uh, and ensuring them that we are not competitors or anything like that. We're not there to take their patients away. In fact, we can't work with them without their. Uh, sorry, we work, can't work with their patients without them. So we are there to work with their entire uh, treatment cycle and we just complement it. So we give them a healthier patient to work with. We look at the immune system. We look at all the side. We manage the side effects of the treatment. We minimize the collateral damage that the treatment can be doing for the patient. We look after the psychological elements that a patient could be going through. Nutritional deficiencies. A lot of patients, you know, a lot of patients have um, tube feeding through the stomach. Uh, they can't eat orally. So there's a lot of weight loss. We look at those things. We manage those things, pain management, um, lymphedema management, uh, dealing with patients who, you know, have mastectomies and have to remove one or two breasts and uh, what they go through psychologically. So we manage all of that for the uh, doctor and his patient while he delivers the, uh, the treatment. So that changed everything because then the doctor knows that the patient is looked after in all those elements and uh, you know there were situations like a lot of patients who are going through chemotherapy go into something called neutropenia where their counts drop very low and they're unable to stick to the treatment regimen um, we were able to negate so many cases of neutropenia and just keep their counts you know at least higher so that they can stick to the treatment regimen um, post-surgical rehab those kind of things is what we manage so we the second we proved to the doctor that hey we're standing beside you uh, not in front or behind you um, that's when the the medical fraternity you know opened up and said okay fine and how did you technically equip yourself so we uh, it took a long time to bring in the right therapist I mean it was uh, it really took longer than we expected um, everyone claims to be nutritionists everyone claims to be a yoga teacher if you do like uh, 200 hours of you know teacher training then you're a yoga teacher and things and that's all great but we needed a therapy we needed mm. yoga therapists and we needed clinical nutritionists and we need people with some kind of medical and clinical background um, so to find that was um, a challenge but now we've got a really good inflow of these guys also we found that okay we can only get a certain segment of therapists with prerequisites but then we have to train them further which led to us building this you know a training academy where as soon as our therapists come on board we then train them further in oncology and different types of um, you know uh, management of diseases and really uh, you know teach them the concept of integrative oncology to a deep extent and then send them out to patients so so that training uh, changed everything for us and uh, 
gave us that one step ahead in terms of having a, a phenomenal team of therapists. It's the only reason we see these this data and the feedback of all our patients and testimonials and the the um, you know support of the doctors and hospitals because the therapists deliver a phenomenal service and they they really are there to improve the patient outcome. And the way we work with the patient is very important because we don't just say okay here take a diet plan or follow it. We look at every pain point of that patient and then um, you know go through one pain point at a time so so that whole technical uh, aspect was something that mm-hmm. took a long time to build um, mm-hmm. and it will keep evolving it's and we're nowhere close to perfect but uh, we're definitely learning through every single one of our patients who come to us and uh, it will it will be ever absolutely evolving. and samara and one more question um, is that which i also face while you know talking about mental health is what if the person doesn't want to do mm-hmm. allopathy but stick to just do uh the complementary treatment how 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 so we ha- we've had a few cases like that where patients have approached and says well we've refused mm-hmm. uh, allopathic treatment yes. it's not our place um you know um it's really not our place uh, we there are of course we know personally whether they should be taking it or not or whatever but it's not our place to tell them what to do we just always give them the information saying as long as you made a decision which is uh, you know an educated decision for yourself it's your life if you don't want to take allopathic medicine we're not going to make you take it but we will but the way we deliver the therapies will be different there are a lot of restrictions when a patient is on chemotherapy and or on treatment and um, so obviously that changes a lot when we go in there and work with a patient but it's also very important i realized is that we need to also be very uh, open with the patient in terms of the outcomes a lot of patient things mm-hmm. that okay are you going to cure me I'm not taking this allopathic treatment, yeah. but can I come to you and will you cure me? Mm. We're like, hold on, hold on. First of all, let's get this whole cure mm. word out of our head because a lot of people are cured and live very, 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 uh, uh, you know, um, really bad quality of life, and uh, and it's re- their quality of life is really depreciated. Mm. Does that mm. really matter? You know, so we say let's focus on the quality of life, whatever the time is, whether it is six months, one month, or sixty years. Let's focus on quality of life, and that's what we keep uh, drilling into the patients. That don't ask us about cure because we will, we can't, we are not here to cure you. We're here to, um, you know, empower you, and we're here to give you the right therapies so that your quality of life improves tremendously, and that you you live like a normal, healthy life every day, and you're happy, and that. that's what we focus on so so the the um, yeah so it's it's you know we get a lot of patients who come to us and don't take treatment and that's perfectly fine as long as we very clear with them of what the out, you know what out mm-hmm. what we can achieve with them um but we also get actually more cases where patients say shall we take that extra round of treatment shall we do the surgery mm-hmm. shall we do this and we're like we are not going to give you medical advice you know that's not something we want to step into um yes there were times uh, initially where it was tempting to mm-hmm. just give that information but i had to uh, get the team to hold back and say it is not our um, it is mm-hmm. not our space and we cannot do that we were work with non clinical therapies we we are mm-hmm. great at what we do it's not our space to give them medical uh, uh, advice thank you so yes. much samara mahindra for your time thank you so much 
Carer approaches the quality of life and the patient holistically is definitely a complementary treatment to cancer. You can check them out online and also directly connect with them. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week again with another episode on the Eureka Moment. You can check us out on all the podcasting platforms, which is your iTunes, your Spotify, your GeoSavan, you name it. And do not forget to subscribe to us. Do not forget to directly connect to us and write to us at epilog.media, Metaphysical Lab. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, you name it. I'm your host, and I'm going to see you guys next week.